it's probably not a surprise that, you know, this is, a, this is a time of fear that we're living in, right? We all have fears of different things. Some of us are, are, are fearful of COVID. Some of us are fearful of the government. And everyone is finding ourselves caught up in the, the in-between of the sort of two strong opposing views on this. It's a very polarizing thing. And I love that actually the church can come on a Sunday morning and put those things aside and come together, uh, whether online, whether you're still joining us online, or whether in person, and praise the living God, saying that His plans are bigger than our current next few months, that His plans are more purposeful than what we're stuck in right now, stuck in the mud. And this week, as, as different things came out, as, as we were meeting as an eldership team and just different thoughts, uh, I just found myself just, just pulled um, to Matthew 6. Um, so if you open your Bibles here this morning, we're just going to camp out there. We're not going to go all over the place today. We're just going to camp out in Matthew 6. And Matthew 6 is about halfway through Jesus speaking uh, to a big crowd. Um, if you imagine... <laughs> I don't know, I imagine the, 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 the sermon, it was called the Sermon on the Mount, and this is about halfway through, and it's sort of Jesus' sort of like greatest hits of teaching. They sort of put them all together. He gave them all one by one by one after the next, one by one, and it was amazing to see, and halfway, about halfway through this, he starts talking about fear and starts talking about anxiety and what to do with that in our lives. In Matthew 6, 25 to 34, he says this. He says, therefore I tell you, and the therefore he's just been telling them to store up their treasures in heaven, in heaven where, where moth and other things can't snatch it away. So out of that, he says this. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his, his span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, who was a great king, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, that's he's talking about people who, who don't follow God. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And finishing off, he says this, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We live in a culture of anxiety. I think I've said that before. But we live in a current state of mind or a state of being 
where anxiety is on the rise. If you look at the studies, if you look at the different things, our society is just getting more and more anxious. And I don't know any of the studies that I looked at have been done since COVID. Could you imagine if you did another study now about all the anxiety in the world that is coming? And I find it interesting, the word anxiety here. The word, what is the difference between just being anxious about something or worrying about something? When we worry about something, that's something that you can fix. Or I'm worried about preaching today and doing a good job. Or I'm worried about, uh, uh, I don't know what else we worry about. I worry about uh, cooking for those people who are going to come over tonight and, and thinking that I'm going to do, do a good job. But being in a culture of anxiety is so much more than just a simple worry. Worries fit into anxiety, but anxiety is almost much more like a lifestyle. In reading up on it and just studying what was Jesus talking about when he maybe used that word about being anxious, actually, if you've ever gone through a season of significant anxiety in your life, you'll know that there's, there's those worries in your life, those physical things, there's the worries about tomorrow, and then there's the, just this feeling, this dread. One, one commentator said it's like having a Jaws theme track just covering your life. Anybody knows the Jaws theme track? It's a pretty old movie now, older than me, I think. But it was like, dun it, dun it, dun it, dun it. And the, and the keyboard keeps going. Sometimes in the news recently, it's a, it's a quick keyboard week, and sometimes it's a, it's a fading away keyboard week. But this culture of, and the news cycle just keeps us in this Jaws sort of theme to dun it, dun it, thumping, thumping is coming along. And the physical aspect of anxiety, if you've ever been through a season, is stress. Stress, right? Who here this morning is, just feels like they're going through an anxious season in life? I'll put my hand up. <laughs> I put my hand Sometimes I feel totally anxious about what tomorrow may bring. And so I'm sort of preaching at myself here today as well. But the stress of anxiety wreaks havoc on the body. Even talking to, went for coffee with a, a guy the other week of just what stress has done in his life and different, different things and how it's come out in different ways physically in the body. And it's not something that's supposed to happen all the time. It's not supposed to be something that is this undercurrent going on. Indeed, stress is from God. Stress was actually given to us that if there was an attack coming, if there was an imminent danger that we would run, that we would feel the stress, the adrenaline, and run the other way. But in the ways we're living now, in the ways we're getting fed now, in the ways that have our attention now, the stress and the anxiety can become overwhelming at times. And I appreciate Charles' word there. Again, if you have words, if you have scriptures, we encourage you uh, in this season to bring them up in, in a worship service. We love contributions of what God's doing together. But as you can see that in Charles' life as well, that wasn't doing him any favors. It was taking away from him. Have you ever gone through a season of anxiety in your life and someone's just told you, well, just pull it together. Just get up, just get out of bed and, and get out. Just buck up, right? Does that work? No. I think as spouses, as, as people, as maybe you've got kids and maybe you've told them that, that, you can't command someone out of an anxious season in their life. You can't say, just fix it. Just get up. Just get it together because anxiety is this overwhelming feeling in our lives. So what is Jesus doing here? He says at the beginning, he's, he's saying, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Is Jesus trying to command us? Jesus is sort of commanding us, don't be anxious. 
In fact, he says it's later. But he points us to a few key places to try and transition us out of that anxiety. And where I want to go today, and where I want to go today is, as I'm trusting what God wants to say to his church today, is how is God transitioning us out of anxiety and being an anxious people? How does God want to lead us into the future where we're not anxious Christians, but we're conquering Christians, as he's identified us to be? And he says this in transitioning the people. Obviously, there were people among him who were feeling that way. He says this in Matthew 6.26. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And it's, it's true, right? I think... The first thing that God is calling us to do, the first encouragement that he gives us out of these verses is he's calling us to how he provides for all of creation. Christian, non-Christians, birds, animals, fish, he's providing for everything and he's created a system that is, yes, broken with sin and death these days, but he created a system that sustains the world. You ever, you know, you ever watch those programs, Planet Earth and those other things? It's amazing to see God's creation. And the more we point to God's creation, the more we realize that, wow, we've got a God who cares. Wow, we've got a God who planned the specific, every little thing that goes together to make life happen. And I believe that what God is calling us to do is, he's, he's first of all saying, like, do you realize how complicate, complicated life is? Now, that might lead you to more anxiety. Wow, it's even more complicated than I first thought. But no, do you realize how complicated the world is? Do you realize what these birds need to happen? They need the rains to come. Then they need the sun to come. Then they need the nutrients to come. Then they need the, the trees to decide to grow in season. Then those birds move around to where, where I provide them in different seasons, different things to go. Yet uh, there is food every day for them because I am God and I have provided for them. God is pointing us to his provision. And it's easy to read these verses and just think, and indeed the first way I read this verse was, you know, look at the birds of the air and see how uh, uh, God feeds them and they just live a carefree life. And aren't birds, they're, they're sort of a nice little symbol because you don't really see that, the whole story behind a bird. Um, it sort of is there, it does a little tweet, it does a little peck. If you have, uh, you know, one of those hummingbird fevers, it's like, oh, so nice to see a hummingbird. You don't know what happens the rest of the day. It was a shocking fact, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, and uh, this just came to me because when, when I first thought about this verse uh, years ago, I thought, well, hang on, not everything is great for birds, right? Not everything goes according to plan in terms of the way they would like it. Do you know how many birds are killed in Canada every year because of house cats? Who has a house cat here today? Okay, do they go outside because, okay, only if, I, I suspect there's more house cats in the room today, but... Around 200 million birds every year in Canada die because of house cats every year. Did you know that? That's a crazy number. House cats seem to be very efficient. Around the world, it's a much more drastic figure. But I believe that what God is saying is, is not that nothing goes wrong in life, but is that I have set systems in place that looks after these birds when I decide for them to live and when I decide for them to die. 
In Matthew 10, 29, Jesus also brings uh, the disciples uh, back to this imagery where he says, are not two sparrows, talking about birds again, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. I believe that what God's trying to do is not create in this verse a prosperity gospel that everything goes right for the people who trust Jesus. But to open their eyes to the fact that everything you have right now comes from God. And the fact that you'll have it tomorrow comes from God. And if it's not there tomorrow as well, well, that's a part of God as well. It's a part of life. And ultimately, this whole scripture is about trusting in God. Getting the the anxiety off ourselves. You see, when we're anxious, when we're nervous, when we don't have that trust... Uh, someone said it like this, it's like you're writing a fax to God every day that, God, I don't trust the plan that you have for my life. When you wake up that head from the pillow and the first thought you have in the morning is dread or unsure or you're heading into the office and you're just, there's a twist, there's a knot in your stomach, there's, there's, there's just this thing, what we're really saying is, God, I don't trust you to work about this situation for my eternal good. Yes, things happen Things come, things go. The story of the Bible is Jesus coming and laying down his life for us. But God's plans prevail. The birds are dependent on God, and we are dependent on God. The next thing he talks about is just the way that God loves us, that shows his love. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. God's saying no matter how beautiful that Planet Earth documentary looks on 4K, how beautiful any part of creation is, guess what? I actually love you more than any of those things. And as best you might try to put life together for yourselves, as best you might try to keep it together or provide a nice house to do these nice things, when those things are taken away, our worlds can crumble. But God says, no, I love you more than that. You see, the transition for Jesus, for getting people out of a spirit of anxiety into a spirit of hope, is to actually turn their attention to God. That's why I love the verses that Wes brought this morning. That's why I love what Charles brought this morning as well. We need to be a people in this season that are so good at turning our attention to the way God has provided for us thus far. Just like Charles. I remember Botswana. I remember malaria. And he did it then. And if he does it again, he'll do it again. Times in my life where God has done those things where it seemed like death might be around the corner. But he saved me then. And if he wants to save me again, guess what? He'll do it again. We need to be caught up with a bigger God and a bigger mission than is just about us. You see, church, we are in a time No matter what you believe about COVID, and I don't want to preach about COVID. We've preached about it enough. But I do want to preach about how the enemy might use this to his advantage. How might the enemy use this to his advantage? Matthew 12, 25, 25 says this, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. You see, for me, when I look at COVID, I don't think there's these two sides, right? There's the people over here who don't think COVID's an issue, think it's a big lie, it's been blown way out of proportion. 
And there's the people over here who thinks we aren't doing enough, that even the government and what they're doing is not doing enough, that they need to do more and more and more. And most people, 90% of people are in the, in the middle, caught up between that. I myself, who finds himself bouncing around like this between two views, depending on what is happening that week? Sometimes I do, depending on who I'm speaking to. Yeah, oh yeah. Anxiety, strife. You see, what we like to think about with most of our battles that we're in is that the enemy, we, we look at the enemy and we think, oh, he's trying to get everybody over here. And the people on this side say, oh, the enemy's trying to get people all over here. I'm going to bring them back over this way. And I'm going to do everything I can to get people over this way. That's not how the enemy wins in this season. The enemy is not interested in pro or against. The enemy is interested in division and deceit and dissension, right? The enemy wins. If the enemy wanted to create a virus that, that wiped out people through death and destruction, if that was possible, and we're not going there this morning about how coronavirus came about, if he wanted to do that, there would have been a way more serious virus. Coronavirus is perfect because it's just subjective enough It's just not dangerous enough, but dangerous enough that we have to make some tough decisions, that it separates everyone. It's played into the enemy's hands perfectly. With the elections that happened um, years ago, all over the world, this new thing of division is coming up. This new, you know, when fake news started. Everybody believes that fake news is on the other side of the aisle. Oh, that, those people are really bad because they believe a bunch of fake news. And these people over here are saying, those people are really bad because they believe... A thing of fake news. And the, 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 the analyst came in after the elections and said, you know what? The, the enemy doesn't care whether people end up over here or people end, over here, end up over there. All they want is a country divided. Who ultimately gets into power? Who cares? But let's create a country that is at war with one another. Because if they're at war with one another, they cannot stand against anything outside that comes. The enemy's plan for coronavirus is division. The other plans is depression and also distraction. I think, again, I don't know the stats. I don't know that we know it for a long time, but I feel that the enemy is working through the 3Ds, division, distraction, and depression in our midst. And I believe that we're called to these verses today because we've got to see how is Jesus calling out of us this season. This isn't a preach about this or about that or about who's right and who's wrong, but how do we go forward and how does Jesus instruct us forward? We can become so depressed in these times about not sure what to do. The life can get sucked out of us by not being able to to, to, to care for one another or by having people that we've cared and loved for go a different direction. Had conversations with, with people months ago, but just different people, a couple of people with different sets. I was like, oh, I can't believe I'm friends with that person who's doing this. I'm like, that's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants you to reject that person because they've got a different viewpoint from you. But church is the only group of people that come from every creed, that come from every background, that every tribe and every tongue, every social and economic status, every Facebook status that come together and worship the living God. The enemy wants to distract us. Through division, he wants to turn our attention away from the mission that's at hand for the church 
And he wants to put our energy and effort into worrying about ourselves and, and pushing others away. There's also another uh, big thing happening in BC right now, but forest fires, right? We've got fire, we've got, uh, yeah, a few people in the church who've, who've worked who do those things. We had a forest fire in town recently. Um, and a for- forest fire is pretty obvious, right? A forest is fire, what do we do? A forest is on fire, what do we do? We put it out. It's easy. It's not a divisive topic. I guess if you get into the weeds, you can get a little divisive about it. I'm sure every, every news article will try and find a way forward or a foothold. But this isn't one of those things. We cannot allow the enemy to make us sad, scattered, and separated. We need a way forward into, out of uncertainty. And Jesus is talking about different things with these people. He's talking about what they eat, how they're provided for, about how they clothe themselves, about different things, but the application is the same. In Matthew 6, 31, he again comes back and commands them to not be anxious. He says in verse 31, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the people outside these walls, the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Our Heavenly Father knows what we need in the future. Our Heavenly Father knows what is good and what is bad, even when we don't know the way forward. But he says this in verse 33, and I think this sums up how we get out of this place. He says in verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. I think ultimately this is what God is calling us back to in this time. How do we move forward as a church? We seek his mission and his mandate first. We seek his kingdom. We we seek to become righteous like him. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is anywhere where God rules and reigns. And in this season where you know that God rules and reigns over the universe, but we're in this season of sort of yes, and, but not just yet. In Psalm 103, it says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules all over. God's kingdom is everywhere. And just like the imagery of the birds seeking out their food, I find it interesting that Jesus teams those things together. He's saying, seek the kingdom. And I sort of think he's like, did he... Is he saying also, okay, seek the kingdom like the birds are seeking their food? The fact of the matter is that God is calling us to a kingdom that can be found. God is calling us to a kingdom that can be found. God isn't saying to the birds, go out and search for food that's not there. Go out and try and find and and look for things that can't be found and become away hungry. No, Jesus is saying, but first, first priority, go and seek my kingdom because it's there to be found. In these times where everything would seek to pull and ply us apart, to divide us, that the enemy would try and establish his kingdom in this place, in this city. No, Jesus is saying, my place can be found. We are not in a kingdom famine. In Luke 12, which is sort of the parallel um, in another book of the Bible to what Jesus is saying as well, Jesus also says this. He says, fear not, little flock, calling us a flock. Fear not, little flock, for for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. 
It is our Father's pleasure to give us the kingdom. And I believe in these times where those three things are distracting us, that we're on the edge of sort of this, we can be in this spiritual famine. We can be so depressed, divided, and distressed that we can stop looking for God's kingdom. We can stop doing his work. We can get back, we can relax, we can look at the news, and we can wait for things to reopen again. But the kingdom can be found and established everywhere. The first thing needs to be the first thing. And God calls us to lives of priority. You want to know the way to get out of an anxious heart? You want to know the way to get our culture out of this anxiety-ridden problem that we're in? It's to put God's kingdom first in every place that we can. What that looks like specifically, it's hard to know. But that means instead of being consumed with the things that um, we'd seek to uh, uh, look upon, that we need to be consumed with God's love. Worry and anxiety are always problems with a lack of proportions. When we find ourselves stuck, when we find ourselves downtrodden, it's always because we've made that worry or that thing way greater than God's ability to fix it than God's ability to lead it through, than God's ability to accomplish the mission. And life won't be rosy for all of us. I don't know why, but as I was prepping this thing, I couldn't stop thinking about those 13 American soldiers who laid down their lives this week in Afghanistan. Just like, wow, these guys went at the very end of the mission, the very last thing, and their whole job was to get people out, was to find the people with the right documents. You can imagine this thing of being pressed up at the gates, just a swarm of people, a swarm of confusion. Every person there, there to help people, not with guns, but with hands to pull people through the crowd. And what did the enemy do? The enemy came and saw a way to divide and conquer. Those people gave their lives, but every service member joins the team knowing that they may pay the ultimate sacrifice. And those troops looked at the pictures of them last night, just young 20-year-olds, more 20-year-olds than than most other things, young women, I think a few, two or three women involved. The pictures of them that came back were them holding Afghanistan children, bringing them through the nets. It's like, who would do such a thing? God has a mission for us. And it's not clean. And we know when we sign up that there may be a price to be paid. But the mission is worth it. That mission was worth it. Was worth it for the hundreds of thousands of people that were rescued. They paid the ultimate price. And God, we know that we have to pay a price too. Seek God's kingdom first. We need to put God's kingdom at the top. For the church in the current season, that's what we need to do. We met as, a, as an eldership team. We meet every week. We talk every week. And with this, with this week, with the, with the news that came out about the different uh, uh, way the government wants to proceed and all these different things, we're like, how can we move forward? And, and we're sort of doing it again. Like, like, we're like, okay, think, trying to think a few steps in advance. Like, okay, what are they going to do? What are we going to do? We didn't come away with any clear answers. We didn't come away with, okay, this is absolutely the right thing to do. But the, the heart of the way we left that place is we must seek the kingdom first. 
you know what? God, you, the church around the world, whether you d- d- different things of what you're thinking are happening right now, but the world around the world, um, who've been the church around the world who've been under persecution, how strong is that church? Why? Because of opposition has forced them to put the kingdom first. In these lives, depending, no matter what you think the opposition is, whether it's this thing or that thing, it's all opposition, it's all imperfect, it's all a broken world, it's all wrong. It has to force us into the kingdom. And there is kingdom opportunity everywhere. Maybe if the worship team just comes back up as as we close here. But seeking the kingdom first, asking up God to move in this place, to move in this city, will lead us into unity that we've like never seen before. I've been listening to different people, different things, different articles, and there's, a, there's quite a number of people saying that the next big thing of evangelism is just hospitality. <laughs> the next big thing of evangelism isn't a crusade or wise words or an amazing argument. The, the next big thing for evangelism and winning people in the kingdom is just to invite them into your house because that's so strange these days. To invite people into your house who the world would have nothing to do with, who most people wouldn't cross those lines. God will lead us into unity. God will keep us on mission if we keep his kingdom first. And the, the world will look to us if they see a people standing together, not divided. And we'll be able to go forwards. If you're in a spot of anxiety at this time, and again, as I was just reading the different things on anxiety, is that like this, the anxiety that is upon people, the anxiety that Jesus is speaking about, there's all sorts of different levels with so many things in these days. There's different levels, there's different depths, there's different seasons, there's different amounts of time that you can be in these things. But when an anxious heart grips us, It's this whole body experience. Being worried is in the head, but being anxious is in the body. It kills the body, and it wants to kill the church. It distracts the body. The body can't think about the solution because it's so worried, not just worried, but perpetually worried about everything. That God wants to do this. God wants to heal that. Let's just stand here this morning, and if you are in that season, I just want you to put out your hands and, and name those things before God. Name those things. Maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's something completely different. There's so much going on in this community. Let us be in His presence. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If we're to seek it, church, will we seek it? Lord God, Lord, we stand right now and we pray over our people. We just pray over the people who are just in this season, probably many of whom aren't here this morning because they feel in such a way, Lord God. We pray as you spoke to Charles, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to every man, woman, and child here this morning, every man, woman, and child over the road, every man, woman, and child at home, Lord God, listening, every person who is even too depressed to even click on this morning, Lord God, that you would raise our attention to a God that spoke the universe in a creation. 
of a God that spoke and created systems and processes where the variety of life in this world is astounding. You can't stop finding life every nook and every cranny. There's life pouring out. And then the brokenness and then the failure of that creation after sin came in. Lord God, you sent your son to die and pay the ultimate price. And the enemy would choose to lie. The enemy would choose to twist. The enemy would choose to say, that wasn't enough. The enemy would choose to say, he does not love you enough. He does not have a way forward. But we know that's a lie and a twist from the pit of hell. Because you were enough, Lord God. Your sacrifice is enough, Lord Jesus. Lord, we trust and we pray that you are building a church that is so completely on fire for kingdom first living that we would enter into season like never before, Lord God. Lord God, make us hungry. Lord God, if you're in a season of making us desperate, make us more desperate, Lord God. But Lord God, may you not be far away. May the comfort of your Holy Spirit be close to each person here today. Lord, we pray for a move of God. We pray for a move of God in every system, Lord God. Every system that is broken, every system that is hurt, that you would send your spirit, Lord God, and raise up Christians, Father, in every nook and every cranny. Lord God, come and have your way. Show us how to be a kingdom for his people. May we not be dismayed. Lord, let's sing your praises.